One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. You have beverage for this. Uh-oh, he's got a beverage. What does that mean, folks? We're live and Matt Green had to take a <laughs> sip of water because this is our first college football week one recap show here on a Sunday night, a holiday Labor Day weekend where college football is back in full bloom after an appetizer. Uh, last week, we are back. And that means fellow University of North Georgia alumni Matt Green is here on the full ride on the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, joined by the aforementioned Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is good to be back. Our first reaction pod of the year. I've been uh, been looking forward to this all weekend, uh, mm. watching games all day yesterday. We had to wait a little bit longer for that because we had some Sunday night action. Mm. Um, but yeah, and and obviously not going to get to Clemson and uh, and Duke just yet. But uh, for for the most part, this is our week one reaction. The ninety nine percent of week one. Absolutely. And Duke Clemson, I mean, thankfully, this will not be a trend of the Monday game. So we being a game behind. So we'll update the pick and all that uh, once we uh, we get there in the midweek show. But don't forget, folks, on Sunday nights, we tape these uh, the recap shows. So look out for those on your morning commute on Mondays. And then also our re, uh, preview shows go up on Thursday mornings uh, ahead of the weekend. So look out for those on Thursday morning. As always, you can watch this very show on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Podcast. Well over 1,300 subs, all kinds of views each and every day. Check us out there. Full episodes, clips, all the good stuff as we keep uh, getting that YouTube channel just popping each and every day. So appreciate y'all's support there. As always, you can tweet at us at podchasethomas. Uh, email the show, any college football stuff you would like to get in touch with. Guess what? It's easy. Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com and as always if you love this show tell a friend or co-worker whoever about this college football program that matt and i do twice a week during the college football season 
leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's how you're listening and you have not already done so. Um, Matt Green, how did we do it? Because a tradition unlike any other on this very program is death, taxes, chase winning the overall win-loss pick. Because for a CFB expert, Matt Green, you seem to always be you, you seem to always be looking over your shoulder at me just like, oh, here he comes again, just well, well, right out of the is, gate here. I thought I was going right. to... What is uh, happening right now? Are you... um? Do you, do I need to go refresh our listeners from um, what we did what, from our 2022 season, sir? You're, you just made the money. We, I got the got picks the, right. We got the dates here. We got the, the data here. Let me, let me see here. So last year, let's refresh our mm. listeners. Uh, uh, overall last year, by one game, Chase yeah. Thomas, 101 and 55 to yes. my 156. Every um, game so counts, you, Matt Green. You got you know me by this. one game. And then uh, against the spread last year, you were 71, 80, and 5, just under 500, while myself mm. over here was 80, 71, and 5. Had nine games up on you against the spread. And you just got that measly one game overall. So let's uh, and and, and even Zeus, Zeus was mm. nine and five a year ago. So he was really uh, he was winning the people some money. There you go. Shout out to Zeus always, uh, even on this fine holiday weekend. Matt Green. Um, before we get into uh, what happened uh, this week, we're gonna kick things off with LSU and Florida State because that just happened, and that's the freshest on both of our minds uh, right now. But. What is your green line stat of the weekend as we get back into the full-fledged Mike Bobo is killing my team's offense uh, part of the year? I'll have to I'll have to save the the green line stat of the week uh, for the mm. Florida Utah, but Florida State. Just watching that one, I really that was the game that I really had I think the least like of a of a knowing what was going to happen. I think both mm. of these teams like. Norvell, like just with the way they hit the portal this year, like we just didn't necessarily know what they were going to look like. Like uh, Jordan Travis was really good down the stretch against some kind of bad teams. And obviously he he's kind of had to be their offense. Um, not to steal your line, I'm going to get it, give you credit for it. But that text you sent me earlier tonight, that he's a combination of Auburn Bo Nix and Oregon Bo Nix. I feel mm. like I kind of know exactly what you're saying. Like he's just there's something about him. I feel like that's a little missing. That I feel like I'm not necessarily like obviously he just, he just had a great game versus mm-hmm. first LSU. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not like oh he's the Heisman front runner now. Like he's best player. I I feel like exactly kind of how I did before the game as I did after. I feel like just Florida State as a team is a lot more impressive to me than I was kind of expecting. Like LSU just don't doesn't look improved. Like. For this being year two of Brian Kelly, I was kind of expecting like just a, another level for them to hit. And Jaden Daniels, I mean, he was under pressure the whole game, but I don't know. He, I just I feel like he's still not that guy. Like if everything's right around him, he can do it. But LSU was getting absolutely blown up on the offensive line. Him getting speared running up the middle in that one play, like I texted you too. I was like, Jane Daniels is not surviving this season. Like he also got banged up in missed time last year. Like that still hasn't been cleaned up. The dude's just not very big and he invites contact and it's just that can't continue. And he got roughed up in the front seven for Florida State is legit and their defensive line with verse and uh Peyton uh on the edge was fantastic. And on the flip side, Harold Perkins at inside linebacker is 
insane. Like, how is this guy not on the edge? I don't understand, like, who you could make the case is the best player in the game itself, the game record, and he's not on the edge. And Matt Miller of ESPN, who's been on this program, made the tweet of, like, he needs to go to Matt House and sell issue staff and be like, look at what edge guys make in the NFL and look at what off-ball linebackers make in the NFL. Like, I am losing money by getting moved to help this team because y'all have a depth issue at inside linebacker. It's to like... Be- to but be my fair, point I don't is know like that he he's... needs to be on the edge. Like I don't know why your best player is not on the edge. You saw. But I think what that's what he was coming out of high school. So I yeah. think this was kind of like okay, he's going back to what he was like recruited to do. Mm. But I'm with you. Like I, I mean, not saying he like disappeared in this game, but I like I don't remember Harold Perkins having like hardly any impact on this mm-hmm. game. And this man single handedly won a couple of games. It felt like for them a year ago. So yeah, it's just the impact you can have as that as that pass rusher and just getting after the quarterback like clearly it looks like i mean it's just one game but it looks like that's just where he's going to have a bigger impact on the defense like i don't know i'm 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 questioning it too and then on the travis front like he got away with some crazy stuff in the first quarter he had some crazy balls that should have been picked and yeah that one inside the 10 yeah uh, on his own end zone yeah that was terrible like that was a that could have changed the game for sure and that's where I got the, you just jot down, you're like, this, it's the, that's an Auburn Bo Nix play. And then he had some other beautiful balls, like the Keon Coleman. Like, they just did so well in the portal, and they've done so well. Mike Norvell's staff, um, Jaheim Bell having a big one uh, late to kind of clinch that to put him up three scores. Um, Keon Coleman's a dude. Like, he is going to be a problem. Johnny Wilson had some big drops, but uh, as Bud Elliott alluded to, it's been just, that's the Johnny Wilson experience. He had like a, uh, I think he had like a 9% uh, drop rate in high school or something. So it's just something that for whatever reason, he's always had drops and it's just something you live with with him. But he also had a lot of big plays. Um, they're physical. Uh, they weren't able to run the ball as much as you would like um, in this one for Florida State. But Travis, I thought, got better as the game went on. But also, let's just go ahead and point out, for LSU was winning 17 to 14 at half. They got outscored in the second half, Matt Green, uh, 31 to seven. They end up winning 40. Like that was and the seven was with a minute left in the yeah, game. Just down garbage four time. touchdowns. Like, yeah, the halftime adjustments by Mike Norvell and his staff. I mean, just a completely different game. Cause I thought, uh, this was going in a direction where LSU was going to break away, uh, going into the second half. And it went completely against that. And Florida state deserves all the credit in the world on that front. Yeah. And then I th- you ha- Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I felt like um, the first half felt just like last year's game Mm. where it's like, I'm still not sure if I'm watching two college football playoff contenders or if I'm just seeing two evenly matched teams. It's just like you said, uh, Wilson would drop multiple passes early. It felt like there's multiple drops on both sides. LSU muffing the punt. It's Mm. like it's like both teams were just a little sloppy. So it was like fun, just like last year's game was, but it, you didn't know how good these teams are. Um, I feel like I still don't know how good LSU is, but Florida State actually, like, I think this was the biggest uh, hurdle, in my opinion, of them keeping them out of the playoff because yeah. now it's like, obviously, it's eleven, a 12-game schedule, but you could lose to Clemson and then beat Clemson and potentially be like a one loss ACC champion. Like that loss to an SEC team that maybe LSU is with SEC champion or whatever happens, but that loss hanging over you from another conference, like that's not there now. So mm. their schedule, we, we know the ACC. Oh, we don't know the ACC. Cause it's just some, some teams are just so unpredictable, but 
I think uh, with what this schedule looks like, I mean, they're they're definitely uh, a step closer to the college football playoff after tonight. I mean, let's just see what they do at Clemson. Like, that's the whole thing. Everything with Florida State, let's see if they can get over the Clemson hurdle and on the road. And let's see what Clemson looks like uh, on Monday night because um, I think they're just another team that I'm very fascinated to see how they uh, look against a good Duke team um, on Monday night. But kudos to you, Florida State. Big win. Um, AP had this, Matt Green. Um, LSU allowed 45 points against Florida State, tied for the most allowed in a season opener by an AP top five team in the poll era since 1936. It's all, it is also the most allowed in a season opener by an AP top five team since number five, Oklahoma in 1968. The big thing too here for me, LSU now can't lose another game. Um, LSU, like in the 14 playoff era, no two lost teams ever made the playoff and LSU would be fighting history here. They win the West last year. They've been blown out several times <laughs> through two years of the I Brian will, Kelly era. I, I just, will say, though, of the only team that ever could have been a two-loss playoff team, mm, 2017 Auburn, mm, they did lose like a big-time game to a nationally ranked team like mm, week one. Like Clemson, and Clemson ended up being number one, the number one seed in the playoff that year. Like mm, losing to Florida State, they could be easily a playoff team. So... You get one loss in week one. They're up to what? They're back up to like number five, and maybe they lose to to Alabama or something. But um, work their way up back in the in the rankings, win the SEC. Like that would obviously do a whole bunch. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm not writing them off just yet. But if this offensive line can't protect Jaden Daniels, yeah, this team's not winning the SEC West. Over under Garrett Nesmeyer starts two games this year. Oof. That's tough because, like you said, Jaden Daniels, like he, Hinden Hooker had a little bit of that in him where it's like sometimes he he just put his head down on a no, linebacker. Joe puts like, his head down way more. Joe's like, out here Hinden stiff Hooker, arming corners. Wow, but, he, but how big is Hooker? Like 220, 230? Yeah, like no, he was, Hooker uh, is not a big man. Six, he's three, just two, not. Yeah. He, well, even Jaden Daniels is, is skinnier than, uh, than Hooker yeah, was. Yeah, Hooker's though, bigger. So. Mm. He's taking on contact. I don't know if he can that that two number. I could definitely see Nussmeyer getting a couple games. Uh, Matt Green. There was a game on Thursday night. Let's stick with uh, the state of Florida here because uh, it was uh, the best of the best with Florida State up there in Tallahassee, and then down there in Gainesville, um, embarrassed to start Week One of the College Football season. It feels like forever ago that game happened, but it was still the same week, yeah. holiday weekend. It just it feels like a while ago. But Matt Green. Um, Florida goes down in embarrassing fashion. Um, and man, there's just a lot to pull from this, but the way I look at it is Florida is just as discombobulated as they were a year ago. Uh, not being able to run on Utah was a big surprise. I thought they would at least be able to do that, but Utah completely took out ATN and, uh, Roshan Johnson or not Roshan Johnson. Um, wait, is that right? Montrell Johnson, Montrell Johnson. Roshan was, uh, with Texas and, it's never great when like ETN's brother is like openly tweeting like, or you should maybe consider going to Colorado <laughs> and try and the, his brother having to go on Twitter and be like, no, 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 we're, we're going to be all right. Just wait and see. It's like, oh man, that's, uh, that's tough. Um, if you're a Florida Gator fan and you're Bailey Napier trying to keep everybody from jumping ship, but, um, the offensive line's terrible. I think this was something that I had written down, uh, just as my larger notes for the weekend is that Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, and Old Miss even really a little bit, and A&M all have very, very good offensive lines this year. And I wonder how much that pays dividends where 
Tennessee's partly just because their tempo is just always going to lend itself and they rotate so much that they're just going to be okay. That was something that I just, they're going to be fine because they didn't have their starting center and it was, it will get more in Tennessee. What I'm saying is Kentucky did not have good uh, offensive line play. Florida had really rough offensive line play. South Carolina had terrible offensive line play. LSU had terrible offensive line play today. I wonder how much that matters, but I just, I jotted it down of like, okay, here's the teams with the good offensive lines. I wonder if that sticks. And here are the teams that have a bad offensive line. I wonder how much that just ultimately torpedoes their season. But like, if you're a Florida fan, you can't feel good, right? Like you're just, this is uh, not how you wanted to start and it's not going to get any easier from here on out. What was your biggest takeaway from their loss to a backup dual quarterback situation with Utah? Yeah, there's that part of it, too. Uh, Florida State fans just loving the first 15, mm-hmm. 20 minutes of this pod. Um, <laughs> just loving the misery of uh, the Florida Gators. I think um, Graham Mertz, it's like it's hard to know really what to make of his performance. Like, he seemed fine. Like, he was, you know, kind of running around making some plays, but he was just under pressure during the entire game. But I think the biggest thing was just their lack of being able to run the ball at all. Like 13 yards rushing in this game. I think if you take out the sacks, it's still the running backs were 13 for 42. If you just take out the Mertz's, all of Mertz's production, but that's still not good. Cause if you think about like what, what, that this was my biggest critique of Florida coming into the season was in Graham Mertz was, what did Wisconsin want to do? Wisconsin mm. wants to pound the rock and use the passing game, you know, and to the running game to open up the passing game. And that this this is a program that just has a history of just really good offensive linemen going into the NFL and just great running backs. Like, and this guy couldn't be successful in that system. Like, that's exactly what this Florida team is quote unquote built to do. They have two really good running backs and they thought they could have a good offensive line, but seeing what they did against Utah, like this is kind of my problem with the whole composite ranking, talent ranking and stuff like that. It's just the the blue chip ratio and all that. It's like that Florida team is not one of the 15 most talented teams in college football. Like I don't really care what your recruiting rankings say. Like it's just not. And it gives this, you know, the this sense that they should just go across country and beat Utah because they have better players. And like, did you watch that game thinking Florida had better players? Like it did def- it definitely didn't look like they had better players. Especially on the defensive line. Like they were they were just slow. And we'll get into some defensive lines that did not look the way Florida did. I just they're not there. And the dumb penalties where it was like and then it was revealed that they had an old number sheet and that's why um they didn't wow. catch the dual number thing where he changed one of the number threes was actually 21 earlier last year or something and now he's number three so they just had an outdated uh model so it's like the sheet. wristbands back in like, that georgia florida game where people had the wrong wristbands on mm-hmm. and they had to waste a timeout first drive of the game it's like that's kind of that's kind of stuff that uh that people don't have a lot of patience for no, and then I sent you that stat on what the Florida's record has been since uh, throwing the shoe, the shoe game, and it's who uh, throws a shoe. Yes, and it was. Um, it here's the thing too about, and this is something I've said. I a lot of people had problems with uh, Napier or with uh, Mullen. Here's something that uh, College Football Report tweeted out that I, I forgot to send you. But it said, uh, quote, with Florida and Nebraska struggling today, you have to wonder if they jumped the gun on firing some of their previous coaches. Nebraska's overall record, 
Bo Pelini was 67 and 27 at Nebraska. Since then, 38 and 57. Florida's overall records: Dan Mullen, wow, Dan Mullen, 34 and 15. Billy Napier, six and eight to this point at Florida. Be careful what you wish for. You complain about the recruiting and everything else. Dan Mullen didn't do a lot of this, and I understand that Dan Mullen wasn't perfect. Dan Mullen was a really, really bright offensive mind, and he won a lot of games in the SEC. He won a lot of them at Mississippi State. He won a lot at Florida, and I understand that last year wasn't great, and the shoe stuff was stupid, but like this was a team very close to the college football playoff at one point at the end of his tenure, and... I, I just, I wonder where this is going, but it goes back to our thing. Unless you're, for whatever reason, if it's not Urban Meyer or Steve Spurrier or one of their disciples in uh, Dan Mullen, it just doesn't seem to go well at, at UF. So I'm not saying their season's a wash, but there's a reason we saw on Thursday night why their over-under was the second lowest in the SEC coming in to yeah, this I year. Think- I think myself included, uh, a lot of people just kind of had this this uh, perception that it's Florida and mm. they're they're gonna go to a bowl game. It's Florida, and yeah. I'm I'm not sure. I think the silver lining is that Utah could conceivably be the second or third best team on Florida's entire schedule this year. Um, but obviously, Florida State. After watching them tonight, I think Florida State's definitely one of those best teams, and obviously Georgia. Um, and and they're gonna have to play LSU and, and a whole bunch of other teams, Tennessee. Um, but yeah, so it's a loaded schedule. But um, I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely tough. Florida fans are, are down bad. I think after that first one, for sure. Um, let's hit on the Georgia situation, Matt Green, before we get too far down the rabbit hole, because people are gonna the the loyal listeners here want to hear our Tennessee and uh, Georgia takes here. So. I don't know if I irritated you yesterday when I was sending you the updates of what was going on <laughs> with uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. Your team, the Georgia Bulldogs, Matt Green, they take care of business against UT Martin, a team that uh, the University of Tennessee smoked a year ago by a bigger margin, had less problems with a year <laughs> ago than what we saw from uh, from this group. Ty Simpson's father, I believe, coaches those Skyhawks, uh, backup five-star quarterback, at Alabama, if I recall correctly. But Matt Green, a lot of talk about Carson Beck's play, a lot of talk about Mike Bobo, a lot of Georgia fans just going through just all kinds of emotions after winning back-to-back national titles and seeing some uneasiness, seeing some growing pains on this offense. The thing that stuck out to me um, just going through this with Georgia is I jotted down, it was seven to nothing, Georgia with four minutes left in the first half. And I understand they stayed vanilla, a lot of base stuff there. Kirby's not going to show a bunch of new wrinkles and all this stuff. You can still blow out a team in the first half if you're Georgia and not, not unload all, all what you're going to do. There is something to be said where it's not time to hit the panic button, but to be up seven to nothing with four minutes left in the first half against UT Martin when you're Georgia and the the thing about Georgia now has to understand is they're in a different world. They're judged differently. You're one of the three premier programs in the sport. Like you have the big, like you Bama and Ohio state have a different level of talent than everybody else. Generally speaking over the last five years. So you're judged differently when Ohio state struggles to put Iowa away, they are judged or Indiana away. They're judged differently. If Alabama did not take care of business against middle Tennessee state, they're judged differently. If Jalen Milrow doesn't ball out, 
they're looked at differently. It's just the nature of the beast. And I think Georgia fans are starting to feel it now where it's like, uh oh, we're under the microscope and us struggling even a little bit on offense or showing any signs of weakness is going to be pinpointed of like, uh oh, have we found the have we found the chink in the armor? Have we found the thing that uh, keeps the University of Georgia from going back to back to back? That's what the, the nature of the beast is here. Matt Green is all of that fair as I move over to talk to you about how many games it's going to take before uh, Carson Beck is no longer QB1 at the University oh. of Georgia. Wow. Um, first of all, with four minutes left in the second quarter, it was 14 to zero. No, he right. scored in that four, that they four minutes. They scored around, around four minutes. That's what I'm saying, there. yeah. But do they stop playing football games with four minutes left in the second quarter? Or do they mm. play all 60 minutes? And mm. over 60 minutes, I mean, I just look at the final box score right mm-hmm. the, the score was 48 to 7 and georgia had what 559 yards of total offense like i just i want to tell these georgia fans that are if if these these quote unquote these these georgia fans you talk about that are they're so displeased georgia's not going to win 65 to 7 every game uh, like they did against tcu in the national championship it's just it's not going to happen so if we're if we're disappointed about 48 to 7 like we're doing something wrong it also should have been 48 to 0 because that that touchdown that they caught in the corner of the end zone the guy with the one hand it was great effort but he was definitely bobbling it and then went out of bounds so it should have been 48 0 but regardless it's 48 7 alabama won 56 to 7. it's like almost the exact same score but they made some big plays on offense or so like, yes, Alabama, we're sure Jalen Milrow's the guy. Um, I don't feel like you can really learn anything in these cupcake games anyway. It's one of the reasons I kind of hate these cupcake games is because, yeah, maybe they did keep it vanilla. Like maybe, maybe this, maybe that. It's like we know these players are supposed to get up for every game, right? It's the first game of the season. You just know they don't get up for these games the same way they do for a big time conference game or something. Like, so it, if anything, like, the first half, like, yeah, Georgia's offense definitely got started slow. It was just like, it was kind of, it was just no real rhythm to the offense. But, I mean, things got going, and Carson Beck was, like, what was he, 21 of 31, like, close to 300 yards, right? Like, he he had a a, a fine game, you know? Like, it's, it's he wasn't, like, great. It, it, Georgia, like, if we're judging him at the standard, like, are they clearly the best team in the country? Like, they were voted in the preseason. Like, I'm not sure they're the clear number one, but... After this week, like, I'm not like Middleton, like Alabama blowing out Middle Tennessee State, Ohio State really struggling with Indiana. Like, I don't think they're those two teams are better. Like, Michigan, well, what was Michigan like 30 to three, like against whatever cupcake they played? It's like well, not on. like Their they put up a huge bear uh, and they yeah, sacrificed the whole uh, down yeah, by free doing Harbaugh. an I formation, free Harbaugh, this self imposed suspension. Uh, um, <laughs> They, but it's like they they scored thirty points. Like Georgia's offense scored forty one. They did have the pick six, but it's like, it, it, like the offense put up numbers. Like they 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 were moving the ball. Like it was not at the the ease level that it should be. I think if anything that you're probably worried about, it's like why is the offensive line not just dominating UT Martin on the ground? Like why are we not able to just run at will on that team? Like that that was a a weakness in the game. But like the people wanting to to wanting to talk about Mike Bobo, it's like. Those people didn't want Mike Bobo hired to begin with and thought he was a bad OC back in 2012. So I don't know if you thought Mike Bobo was a bad OC in 2012. I'm not really sure what Georgia offense you were watching. So those people weren't really satisfied at the time. So, I mean, yeah, whatever. They're they're not satisfied with 48-7. 
versus UT Martin. Like, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to those people. I have some other stuff here. So, look, um, they punted on three of their first four drives. Back, like you mentioned, uh, twenty-one to thirty-one for two ninety-four total, two TDs. It was really the Brock Bowers show. If you go back through and watch this, it's really the Georgia offense should be just fine Brock Bowers because he's impossible to tackle. Like I, I lost track how many times he bounced off just people like hitting him and he just moves over. It's extremely disrespectful the way Brock Bowers goes about yeah, his that's business. That's my biggest criticism yeah. is not getting Brock Bowers the ball just every like three or four how plays. How does he not have but, 13 I mean, that targets was, a game. That was a criticism I had for Todd Monken too. So it's mm. like Brock Bowers should just be getting fed like like a running back. Like he should mm. get the ball 10 to 15 times like every single game. He's just, he's that good. But I don't know. And this also, there's kind of this just... uh revisionist history that Todd Munkin like this offense just never had any sort of weaknesses at all like the Kent State game there was a lot of criticism after the Kent State the Missouri mm. game last year like there's there's times that the offense didn't look great but I mean like they, they scored 48 points like it's just it's funny to me that they were talking about offensive struggles they're 44th in pass offense per pro football focus after this game but here's the thing that I think ultimately matters to Georgia the most and why, if you're a Georgia fan, like, no matter what, you're going to be fine. They're second in pass pro per PFF through week one. He had all day to throw. And I understand T.T. Martin, but you look at that offensive line, you look at the bodies, you look at the size, you look at the blue chip ratio. They're going to be really effing good on the offensive line. Like, that's just going to be a thing. And maybe if you're a Georgia fan, you look at it like Kendall Milton. Hey, he looked good. Um, and if he can stay healthy, that's nice. And they're a little bit thin at running back more thin than they've been in years past. But like, Offensive line matters so much in this sport that whether it's Carson Beck, Gunnar Stockton, Brock Vandegrift, it doesn't matter. Clean pockets help so much with these quarterbacks, especially new quarterbacks um, that are trying to get situated. So he's not going to be running around like Jaden Daniels or Spencer Rattler um, under duress anytime soon because this offensive line's legit. Like that's the biggest thing. So I if think, you're, yeah, I think it's also telling that. Carson Be or that uh, Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton both looked really good when they came in the game. And despite the offense's like slow struggles to start in the first second quarter, like there's not there's no even like talk of those guys coming in for Carson Beck. Like I think mm -hmm. that that shows that Carson Beck is truly the number one and there's not a like a real it's not really even close. Like even though fans obviously we we want to see what happens in real live game action, but if if you're not even getting one of those guys a look while the offense is is kind of slow early on, to, to me, that says Carson Beck is the clear number one. So I, I don't, I don't know. You think Carson Beck's not gonna not gonna stay the starter? I don't know. Like it's just so hard. It's so early. Um, I mean, we've seen it. It's not like JT Daniels just held on to the job from the beginning to the end, and it when Jamie Newman well, barring held, injury or the what? Injury what's was his name? Dewan Mathis. I mean, we've seen it before in the last couple of years at Georgia. It's not like Mathis didn't hold on for for two whole quarters. Well, that's what I'm think. saying. Like, I'm just saying it's um, it's not unprecedented that they go a different direction, especially a quarterback room that is as loaded as Georgia and as much competition that Georgia has that like, I don't know, it wouldn't blow my mind. I wouldn't bet on it that they go a different way. But like, would it surprise me if Carson struggles more, or Carson gets banged up and they go to a different hot hand and he's just better um and they just ride that and carson never gets back in the lineup no that wouldn't surprise me at all um if that's the way george operated so i don't know uh, we'll see i think we won't learn anything for a while let's see what he looks like in south carolina in a couple weeks and uh 
go from there but i don't know i think uh it's it's not a real problem but i just <laughs> i just welcome the return of georgia fans uh a, a large subset of georgia fans uh upset at the return of mike bobo because they are going to blame any and all struggles as graham coffee tweeted out where he said 30 minutes into the new season and the word bobo has appeared in my mentions roughly 100 times <laughs> it's not going anywhere fans are going to be upset about this um for the foreseeable hey, future I, i'm a georgia fan and i love georgia fans but their their track record on some of these things isn't necessarily uh the best like i heard oh, a lot no, of things turning about your own uh, kind. Uh, there's a lot of narratives about there about kirby smart and getting out of the way of the offensive coordinator and all kinds of just things and kirby smart's basically proved everything anyone's ever said about him wrong so I, I just trust, I, I trust, if anything, Georgia fans, if we can all agree on anything, it should be that you should probably just trust that Kirby Smart knows what the hell he's doing. Mm. Somebody on Twitter, Josh Dog 34 calling a draw play with 20 seconds left and no timeouts is why everyone hates Mike Bobo's OC. That, that is the one play of like the whole game that it's like, I'm, I don't, I just, I hate being the armchair quarterback that's like secondhand play calling, like. Yeah, draw play. Everyone loves to criticize the draw play. Like, like Georgia hasn't run the hell out of some draw plays to success at times, too. And hitting on screen passes. It's like Todd Monken was killing screen passes all day. Like, so it's just, it's hilarious the things that fans choose to, to criticize for and criticize specifically Mike Bobo. But to get it down inside the five with like 15, 20 seconds left and with no timeouts and to call a run play... And then have to spike it on second down is just that that was a head scratcher. And then you get one you get one shot at the end zone and it's an incomplete pass. So that that was a that made absolutely no sense. You should have had three shots at the end zone at least at that point in the game. But you know. These mm. are these are the things we're complaining about in a 48-7 game. So this is the standard that Georgia's at. And obviously it's it's more of a compliment than anything that that people are upset about a 48 to 7 uh victory against a a no-name team. Well, another big victory. UT manhandled uh, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. Um, I don't know if you watched any of this, Macarine, but James Pierce is a dude on the edge. Uh, he is going to be a really good player for Tennessee. True sophomore, um, has a, had all the talent in the world, uh, and he took full advantage of that Leo spot today. And Tennessee is able to rotate. Their third down pass rush of Tyler Barron, um, Omar Norman Lott, and uh oh, Omari man, how many times did we James say Pierce. cheetah during this broadcast they were all about this mm. well here's the thing and this is something that i talked about on the go big orange recap show earlier today here's the difference that i think tennessee fans are not going to like about this team because tennessee fans were mad similar to how georgia fans were at how this game went because if you, you had to watch the game if you just saw the final score you wouldn't understand what actually happened here this there's some games you can box score jump around and have a good and know exactly how this game went this is not one of those games like alabama you know exactly how that game went you look at the box score it was the exact yes it was a devastating blowout that um, alabama looked really really good in what happened here was joe missed a couple deep shots he was one of six on deep shots there was an 80 yard bomb that Geaton just dropped that he never drops. He had a big play to make up for it later. So that was a big, just kind of uh, momentum killer early in the game. But, and this is something I've talked about, Jalen Wright's by far and away the best player on this offense this year. And Jalen Wright is the lead back. He averaged over 10 yards to carry here out of the gate. 
Um, he's going to be the first uh, big-time Tennessee running back drafted in a long time since Alvin Kamara here. And the difference with Tennessee, Dylan Sampson had four TDs, backup running back. He's third string. And you have Jabari Small. They're all averaging over five yards to carry here. What's going to be different this year about Tennessee versus last year? Last year, Tennessee passed to set up the run. They utilized Jalen Hyatt deep. They did a lot of stuff where they were like, we are going to beat you vertically and make you respect us that way. And it's going to open up run lanes for us to just slice and dice you because you're terrified of what we're going to do on the perimeter to you. This year, Hypels had to adjust because the best player on this team now and the most terrifying player on this team, on offense at least, is Jalen Wright. Jalen Wright is going to gash you. Dylan Sampson's going to gash you. This Tennessee running back room is loaded. And they are going to run at you until you prove that you can stop them. So it's like, if you want to be scared, you want to be outside the box, you don't want to load, you don't want to load to the box. We're going to run it down your throat. And that's what we saw. And I don't think you're going to see as many fun deep shots and as many fun, just like Tennessee's just passing all over everybody. Like we saw a year ago. I think you're going to see a lot of ground and pound from this group. Joe Milton had a lot of QB design runs. He stiff armed a corner into the ground at one point in this game he had two rushing tds i think this is going to be not murder ball like saban and company want to do in alabama but i do think the biggest difference that i want to implore my sec fan listeners to understand about tennessee this year i think the ceiling is lower on this offense i don't think it's gonna be the number one offense in college football i don't even think it's gonna be the top five scoring offense in college football i think it's gonna be somewhere around 9 10 if i had to guess um and then I also think the defense is going to be around the 20s. And that's been the biggest jump is Aaron Beasley and Keenan Pilly at the two linebacker spots. They were swarming. The front seven for Tennessee is strong. And it's the strongest they've been in the hypo tenure. And you're not going to be able to run on them. And there were so many negative plays in this game. And I understand it's Virginia. But they obliterated and blew up play after play after play. It's just they look like an SEC defense now. And we haven't seen that through three, three years. But... Finally, you're seeing these guys who were blue chippers age into the program, get two years of SEC conditioning and strength training and to under their belts, and you just kind of see this depth that they have not had to this point. So I think they're going to be the, a far more balanced team to this point um, in the hype era, but that does lower their ceiling. And I just my gut says nine and three after that that game was just I don't think the offense is going to be as scary. It's still good. Hypel's floor is extremely high, but it's going to be a run first operation. And Joe Milton is just, he's still just not that, not that guy. Yeah. I was definitely impressed with the defense. Like it's hard to know what to expect from Virginia. Like this, this offense has just looked pretty terrible, looked pretty mm. terrible a year ago. So it's hard to know really what, how to, what to make of it. But I, I definitely thought the defense looked improved. I, I think I heard a stat that they have the most seniors of any uh, defense in the sec this mm. year um they were number but, four in week one uh defensive grades per pff yeah so i mean they look pretty solid but um you look at and you kind of made the this point uh with joe milton i, I feel like it's kind of like a dj uyungle thing mm. where how how taj boyd and deshaun watson and trevor lawrence were all such willing runners it's like DJ Uenglele, it's like he has the he had the skill. Like I saw him do it when he was Trevor Lawrence's backup, but he just didn't have that mentality as the start when he was the starter. It seemed like to really be a willing runner. Like mm -hmm. if Joe Milton is able to give something to this Tennessee uh, rushing attack, like anything at all, like just kind of to maybe just for nothing else, just keep a team honest on a on a zone read or something. 
Like that's, that's a huge element that I think we're not necessarily anticipating him bringing. So if he can, if he can do a little bit of that, like he doesn't necessarily have to be the same passer that Hendon Hooker is. Obviously he's got a cannon though. We all know about like, that's where his, his true gift is. It's just, can he, can he uh, be more accurate with it? He was not great when he was blitzed. He was six of 10 when blitzed uh, five yards per attempt, one and six on deep balls. Uh, he was much better with play action um, in this one. I don't know. We'll see. My gut, I mean, he completed 70% of his passes, and I was, a hey, another thing where Chase is right, I said Joe Milton would be accurate this year, and I, he wouldn't throw picks. So people who were nervous about this, I'm like, that's just not going to be the case in year three in the Hypo system. Now so we're, it's, yeah. it's surprised me for what I watched of this game, for you to say that you, don't, you still don't think he's the guy. Like, you don't think, your opinion didn't improve of him after no. this first game? No, I think they're, it's more of like they know that Jalen Wright's the best player on this team on the offensive mm. side. And I think they know that this offense is going to start with Jalen Wright. Last year, the offense ran through Hendon Hooker. Like it was Hendon Hooker was the maestro here. This is not Joe Milton is the maestro. This is we're running it down your throats and then Joe will air it up. Joe is going to air it out over the top when teams have to respect the run. They're like, we're tired of giving getting gashed by Jalen Wright and company. And then Joe. If Jalen Wright is the best player on this offense, like to me that that means Tennessee is going to be better than expected offensively. Mm. Assuming that's not a bad thing for Joe Milton, like if it means it's because Joe Milton can't complete a pass, they got to go to the running back. Obviously, that's a bad thing. But if if he can still be good for a fifty yard bomb once a game or something like that, like I, I would think their offense is even more dangerous. Than oh, he's absolutely good for expected. that. I'm not saying that's not going to happen still. I'm just saying it's not like last year. It was bomb after bomb after bomb. And they were just, that was their starting point. They were looking for those deep shots right away. I don't think you're going to see that from this group this year. Is my guess. But we'll see. We shall see. We shall see, Matt Green. Um, UNC pulls away from South Carolina late in this one. Um, they get nine sacks on Spencer Rattler and company. Um, man, Matt Green, what did you? What did, was your strongest takeaway here? Where ACC coming away two and zero here um, with UNC and Florida State taking care of South Carolina and LSU in these uh, SEC ACC challenges. Um, so not a great look for. Um, the SEC, because I think all three SEC teams who played ranked teams over the weekend uh, lost, if I, my math is correct here. Is that right? Is that Florida, South Carolina, and, and LSU? Yeah. Uh, it's an overrated conference. I've always said so. <laughs> um, uh, who did you just ask about? North Carolina. Mm. Um, I was really impressed with North Carolina defensively. I think mm. um, this is my green line stat of the week, but I got a stat for you right here. Okay. North Carolina had 17 sacks last season. Mm. Against South Carolina, they had nine. So over over halfway to their 2022 sack total. Um, and there's just not much the quarterback can do if he's just getting sacked like that. So mm. I um I was impressed definitely defensively with what North Carolina was because that's that's been the biggest Achilles heel of this team. But it's also, I think it's kind of like similar to, to the Florida State North Carolina, uh, Florida State LSU game. South Carolina did not look good in this game mm. to me. So like, I don't know, like it's a quality win for North Carolina. Like this is big, big to start their season, 
but I don't know. I have no idea what to expect from South Carolina this year. Like if they're not able, especially if this North Carolina defense isn't any good, like uh, they, they, if they just uh, exposed uh, South Carolina and they don't actually have a good defense, then it could get real bad for the Gamecocks. But assuming North Carolina is improved, like I think this is huge. I think if they, they become a playoff dark horse, like if they can win a, this either Florida state, uh, Clemson, like I think they're, they're a sneaky team out there. I don't know if they're a real playoff contender, but this is a uh, one step closer, like getting over, uh, South Carolina in week one. Drake may looked really good in this game. He had a lot of darts and obviously North Carolina not having their number one pass catcher, um, who transferred in from Kent state and that whole mess that he's not able to play at this point. Um, Malarkey. Yeah. Just a absolute joke that that's happening. Um, Shane Beamer after the game calling the hot dog eating chain crew to start the mm. second half. Shane Beamer going after the chain crew for that onside kick and them not being ready and all that. That was that was weird. Um, here's something that I thought was that felt pretty... like a turning point in the game. The yeah, getting that onside kick and then just dropping the easy fourth down and fourth and short like that was that felt like you took this huge risk and then you got mm. nothing out of it and it just it felt kind of deflating for south carolina i would agree so here's some here's some stuff south carolina fans are gonna hate this you ready matt oh hit me brad Crawford. Uh, brad crawford on 247 south carolina has played 10 ranked opponents during shane beamer's tenure and has allowed 364 points which is good for 36.4 points per game the only time the gamecocks have given up fewer than 30 points under dc clayton white versus a top 25 team was kentucky last year with will levis out i have more for you mark ryan on twitter through 27 games at south carolina beamer is one game behind will Muschamp, 16 and 11 to 15 and 12 Oof. There was a game. There was a moment in this game where t uh, South Carolina allowed a TD at the goal line, following a timeout. They called and had 13 men on the field, and they still didn't shut out into University of North Carolina from punching I it in. I saw that. Everything's like this is one of those things where, I, like, when I looked at the South Carolina stuff, it's like Marcus Satterfield was the problem. He was the scapegoat last year, right? Now, and South Carolina fans had fun on Thursday night where Jeff Sims pick after pick and Nebraska's offense looked rough. And it was like, oh, see, see? I was like, all right, let's see. Dow Logan's. Shane went to bat for him really hard at that press conference where it's like, this is our guy. This is the guy we wanted all along, this, that, and the other. Not a great first showing. Spencer Rattler. It's hard to really figure out what he is at this point when you're getting pressured like that. He was like nine sacks. Some of them ultimately falling on him but like that's pretty outrageous like the offensive line was just not there so a lot of that doesn't fall on spencer rattler all that being said this is what i wondered about south carolina in this whole era like where are the wins coming where what like shane beamer can have the culture wins he can have the tiktoks he can have all this stuff the good culture and all that where are the wins going to come from when are they happening who are they surpassing in this conference north carolina is ahead of them you lose to north carolina you go to Tennessee this uh, this fall. You they, you don't get them at home this time. This is a better Tennessee defense. Tennessee is going to stomp this South Carolina team in a couple weeks. You look at the schedule. You get Georgia. Guess what? That's on the road at Georgia this year now, too. You look at this. This is going to get ugly in a hurry. So it's like all this is cool, the offseason stuff with South Carolina. 
But my thing was like, who are they surpassing? Who, where are the wins coming on the schedule? Where, like, everyone loved to hate on Will Muschamp, and I'm not saying he was a great head coach. He recruited very well, just as well as Shane Beamer is doing to, for the most part. And they hit this wall, like, outside of Spurrier. It's just South Carolina is a very hard job. And what you're finding here is... And that's before Clemson was a powerhouse, too. Right. And now you're looking at it, and I'm like, they should be, like, 8-4 and four is, like, best-case scenario most years. And I think there's just this idea that, like, they were going to get past that and all this other stuff. And I'm like... I didn't see it. And it I just I think South Carolina is going to be fighting for bowl eligibility again this year. Yeah, and I think a a podcast with a Georgia and a Tennessee fan, we we're not we we're criticizing the South Carolina haters at times, but mm. it's just I don't know like you said, I don't I don't know where to find the wins. In this game, it's not it's the it's just one game, but it felt like such a barometer game, mm. like of which direction these two teams see like these two teams that could both go seven and five right coming into the season like which one can actually be an eight nine ten win team and which one's going to struggle to go to a bowl game like Mm -hmm. i don't know if south carolina's losing to north carolina i think they have there's a chance they got you know four or five more teams on the schedule that are just that are as good or better i agree matt green um the game of the weekend i would say colorado and man, they were target. They were targeting some journalists after this, and like, who didn't believe in us, and who did believe in us? And man, I um, I love this game. It was a lot of fun having it on alongside the Tennessee game. Colorado surpassed all expectations. I was telling my dad because he was like, it was a good win, but let's play over here. I'm like, no, I mean, like, this is huge, like for them in game one. Like, Colorado deserves to celebrate. No, they beat. I understand this TCU team's gonna be a little bit different than a year ago. The team was just in the college football national championship this year, and they go in game one on the road with all these new faces, all these guys that have never played with each other, and they go out and beat them at TCU in their home stadium. Like, I don't. That's an unprecedented feat. Shador Sanders making the jump from FCS to FBS and then a Power Five. And playing that well against the team, we've seen Quinn Ewers or struggle against this group. We've seen um, other guys uh, struggle against this TCU defense last year. Like this is something where I looked at it and I was like, "This is just unbelievable that this is happening." And part of it is like one of the things I thought was uh, that led me to some optimism here with Colorado was like they hired well. Like Sean Kelly is a good offensive mind. You pull him in from Kent State. That was a good idea. The tempo and the offensive was great at Kent State. Good hire by Dion. Charles, uh, what Charles Kelly from Alabama, the safeties coach, as DC. That was a good hire. Like you bring in like Dion hires well. Shador was a four-star blue chip prospect. He could have gone to a FBS school. He obviously goes to Jackson State. He played out of his mind in game one as a starter. Travis Hunter played both ways, Matt Green. What, 100 and what snaps? 12 in this one total? 129 snaps. 29? That's insane. This is like Shohei Otani stuff. Tej Seth, friend of the pod, he tweeted this out. Where Travis Hunter lined up on his 151 snaps against TCU per PFF. Wide receiver, 39, slot, uh, 39 times in the slot. 28 times at the wide corner spot. 81 times the slot corner spot um just all over the place like you just look at this and he was 
in the slot corner. He was on the outside corner. He was in the slot wide receiver. He was an outside wide receiver. He had a big interception in this game. He had a big touch, touchdowns in this game. Like Travis Hunter was just like the best player in college football right away. Like he, it, it's just, you look at all of the different varying things. And the one thing I will say, you have to pump the brakes where now people are like, Oh, could they go to a new year six? Could they be pac 12 dark horses? I'm like, I don't know how sustainable it is that Travis Hunter plays this many snaps every week in the power five level. I don't know. It's like the Shohei Otani thing. I'm not going to say I know. I'm just going to enjoy it while it happens because it's freaking awesome and it's historic. What we're seeing here, Travis Hunter playing both ways like this. Don't overthink it. Just enjoy that like Travis Hunter is a special freak athlete. Enjoy that Shador Sanders lit up a team that was in the college football playoff uh, this time or uh, the at the end of this past last year. And like, that's a huge, huge thing that he did not have any growing pains there. Also, let's take it a day, a week at a time. Like it was exhausting to see the post game stuff where I was like, all right, this is where you got to be careful because there's still 11 other games in the schedule. And yes, you beat TCU on the road. That's great. Just enjoy that. Don't go after like, you didn't believe in us. Like, can you get to bowl eligibility first? Can we get there? Can we see if this depth holds up? Can we see if this all looks great week in, week out? That's what I'm saying. Like, I think they're going to go into Nebraska next week. I think Nebraska's going to win that game. Nebraska's defense is good. They're good right out of the gate. And it's a much bigger challenge than what we saw from TCU, I think, on that side of the ball. I just, Colorado's awesome. Enjoy it. But from Colorado's side of things, I'm like, all right, let's <laughs> let's hold off a little bit. But if you're a fan poo-pooing any of this, I don't understand it because it's the best yeah, story in college football right now. I feel there's a lot to unpack for what you said in terms of like they're just their playoff contender status and all that. Like if in terms of what they're going to be moving forward, like t- TCU moved the ball a lot mm-hmm. on on Colorado. Like they had they had to get two like end zone red zone touch uh picks like in this game like TCU moved the ball a lot on this defense. So let's not like act like they're just, we knew TCU was kind of going to take a step back from a year ago. Mm -hmm. These people are kind of differing opinions on how good they actually were a year ago because they played a lot of close games. But with all that, this is an awesome story. Like this was the best story of the entire weekend. Like for just one game, like, like you're saying, like I'm not going to compare him to Shohei Otani now, like Shohei Otani's doing stuff that's like, well, I'm saying if Travis like Hunter does this, we don't see this. It's a Travis like, Hunter like, We've thing. seen like Deion Sanders. We've seen Champ Bailey. We've seen Charles Woodson and just different guys that have played on both sides of the ball. But it's definitely incredible. Like for because I was, I'm not gonna say I was like hating on Travis Hunter, but coming into the year, I was definitely on the let's pump the brakes. Like I admittedly did not watch all of the snaps at Jackson State, but watching the celebration bowl like it's not like he was just a, a man among boys out there but like seeing his first game playing for colorado like this guy was the best player on the field like on the entire time he was on the field basically so that that interception like that's not just like it's one thing what do you have 11 catches for 119 yards in this Something game like that, yeah and in one of those catches one of those uh was a great like contest contested catch uh over the middle but that pick he made, it's like that's also showing like that's an instinctual play. So it's like mm-hmm. this guy's this guy's a smart player. He's just like a a, a just gifted athletically. Because I remember watching some of his games for Collins Hill that and thinking like 
this guy's the best wide receiver like I've ever seen in high school. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, does he even need to play defense? So I don't even know which side of the ball he's better at. Like watching on early on, I feel like he's a better wide receiver. But that that play at corner, like that's that's showing how good this guy is on both sides of the ball. Like, is, is this man literally Deion Sanders? Like, I, it's like the most ridiculous. It's like signing to play with LeBron James and and turning out to be LeBron James. Like, mm -hmm. it's it's just the most insane thing ever. So, I'm I'm enjoying every minute of every minute of it. I feel like you said like Colorado. My comparison, if they feel like bat flipping in, in Major League Baseball, like <laughs> some people love it and some people are just like, ah, oh, this isn't right. It's not the way the game is supposed to be played. And, uh, you know, this isn't how the game is usually played. But, you know, this portal and NIL and all this stuff where you can just flip over a roster of 90 new players in one offseason. I can't so wait for the Dion dumb apparently team to try known and do since this. He was four years old. Well, also, uh, it's not even just them. It's like Texas State did this for a year with Jake Spavadol. And they did this whole just transfer team and it blew up. Like there's going to be some dumb teams that are going to try and be like, oh, Colorado can do this. We could flip our whole team and just jumpstart our program. And it's going to be an absolute disaster. Like I think it's only Dion and maybe like a couple other people that can pull this off. But, but this is, is not man. something that's going to be normal. Yeah, there's something about Dion. It's just mm. he's prime time, dude. It's uh, I think it was a 60 Minutes interview he did like a couple years ago where he that's the thing, too. He's always so 100 percent honest. Like I wasn't a big fan of like the the whole calling people out in the press conference like you were talking yeah. about. Like it's not their job to like be hyping up Colorado. It's whatever. They're yeah. the media. But this man like just talking uh at the 60 minutes interview a few years ago he's just like i've been great oh, yeah, that's what i was gonna say the honesty like he's like yeah mm. i would obviously look if someone comes you know a bigger school comes to offer i, I could be crazy not to listen to an offer and then i think he took colorado colorado job within like six months of the interview but he just talked about like i've been great at like everything i've ever done so yeah i'm gonna be great at, at coaching and doing this and you're just like ah, he's he's not wrong like yeah. I, I believe in him I mean, he's the next coach at the Alabama Crimson Tide. I've said it for like five years. Like that's where this oh, ends. Is Saban retires? Wow. Yeah, I still think that's where it ends. Yeah, I could see it. I think Glenn Schumann is going to be the next head coach at Alabama. He's a he's got Alabama ties. But uh, Dion would be sexy, that's for sure. Let's let him play Nebraska in week two before we're giving him the Alabama. I'm just drop. happy that <laughs> Nebraska Colorado is a back and b going to be a really fun atmosphere and a really fun experience because i missed colorado and nebraska so i'm just glad that dion made nebraska colorado relevant again yeah that's definitely true uh this is uh it's gonna be fun if nothing else um a couple other big ones here matt green uh ohio state struggled to break away kyle mccord not looking great as a whole here um not really much to say indiana kept it close for as long as they could um penn state though um they took away the run game west virginia did didn't really matter drew aller looked sensational and i ask you this sir following penn state taking care of business right out of the gate here i think drew aller looked like the best quarterback in the conference uh on opening weekend how what does that change for you and what does that mean for the conference if drew oh aller sir is... this changes nothing for me i tried to tell people penn mm. state this team's winning the conference uh, West Virginia is a bad team. My biggest takeaway from this is that uh, James Franklin 100% knows point spreads. 
He oh. he's paying attention. Why why did they run that in at the end? They just Ooh. five they could have just they could have just needed 20 and a half point favorite. They mm-hmm. were uh what were they up 16? Mm-hmm. 30 seconds left. They could have just need the ball, game over. Get that extra touchdown there at the end. James Franklin, the uh Vegas Vegas's favorite coach through week 1. Wow. Okay. Uh, Washington blows out Boise. That was kind of a surprise that Boise really wasn't in that game at all ever. Um, Houston beats UTSA again, this time at home in those sweet Houston Oilers uh, type uniforms. So shout out to them for taking care of business at can, home. Can that be a permanent thing? Like, can we mm. just, can we just do that? <laughs> like just Houston, just change your colors to red and light blue. Like they, I feel like they've kind of, they could kind of work it in there anyway, because the, they're Houston Oilers, like the Houston Texans and Tennessee Titans, I feel like have this like little pissing contest over who gets to claim the Houston Oilers. Well, also, let's just make this clear: Tennessee Titans shouldn't do it. Like it's so weird. Like the Oklahoma they City are that Thunder, organization. Yeah, but it's like obviously, yeah, we get the legality of it, but it's still effed up that you're doing it. Like those yeah. two things can both be true. Where it's like the no, you're not the Tennessee Oilers. Like, you're not Houston. Like, the Oklahoma City Thunder are not going to wear the Seattle Supersonics uniforms ever. Like, it's not going to happen. That, that is what it would be. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's so it's weird. Honestly, wait, like, the Ravens or the, the Browns, like, purchased the history from the Ravens at some yeah. point, right? Like, I maybe they got it. Do they have to do that? The Texans have to purchase the the Oilers stuff from the, t- from the uh, Titans. I wish. I feel like the good solution is just Houston Cougars. Just rep it. Just that, that's who you are now. I like it. Um, quickly on Bama. Uh, Milrow was three of four on deep balls. Um, he had a very clean pocket. He wasn't pressured at all in this one, it, going through PFF and looking at his numbers. Um, it was a really, really high PFF grade. Um, he wasn't good in the intermediate stuff. So I, I'm just pocketing that one away of what happens when uh, the deep stuff's not there and he's having to scramble and do stuff on the move. Um, but Bama moves to number one in FPI following week one. Um, my thing, though, that if people are going to overreact to that, Matt Green, uh, Alabama was number two in FPI last year. Um, and we saw how that year ended. So, yes, Bama had a great opening week, took care of business. Uh, Milrow looked good, but like, hey, we always knew they had the talent. They're going to remain somewhere in that one to five range in FPI all season long, but let's see what happens with Milrow's challenge. Let's see what happens when they're having to to do stuff out of their comfort zone. That won't happen every week, but it's not, uh, I, my opinion on Alabama, I don't think changed uh, based on what we saw from Milrow in that group. Did it change you at all? Yeah, and obviously we're going to be a, as objective as possible as two people who think Alabama's taking <laughs> a step back this year. Mm-hmm. But that's why like, uh, you've seen uh, the big short, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's his name? Christian Bale's character, like he's just taking losses after losses after losses because he bet against it. And eventually he's like, you just got to wait it out. And he starts to, the everything starts swinging his way. Like, I feel like that's how, terrible synopsis of that movie, by the way. But um, uh, that's how you. Had to, I feel like I have to be with this Alabama team. It's like, yeah, they're gonna bully every just just about everyone they play because they're Alabama, and Milrow is not gonna be challenged in a lot of these games, especially not Middle Tennessee State. Like, I don't know what we can really learn from from that game versus the Blue Raiders, but they're going to dominate on the ground and and 
make big plays against a lot of the teams they're going to play. The criticism of Alabama, just like we're talking about Georgia, it's at the championship level. Like, and so when they're playing those biggest games, can Jalen Milrow hit those tight windows and everything? Like, obviously, threw a beautiful deep ball, uh, like a 50-yard touchdown in this game. And we we see the kind of athlete he is, and that's what that's what the comp the the comparison to 2017 Jalen Hurts comes in for me. Like if he can be that kind of mistake free guy and be such a um, uh, impact in the running game, but that defense was just also a lot better than what Alabama's been the last couple of years. So I think that's the best case scenario, and maybe Milrow can be that. We only got like a game and a half of of seeing him in true like as the quarterback for Alabama last year and guys can get a lot better. Um, but yeah, the, the middle Tennessee state game, I can't, it's not going to make me now all of a sudden. Yeah. This is the best team in the sec. You still gotta, you still gotta learn from some bigger games. For sure. Ole Miss final thing. Second highest overall offensive PFF grade. Ole Miss look really good on both sides of the ball. Um, I think Ole Miss take the over. If you did not already, I took it, um, this year. I think Ole Miss is going to be sneaky. Good. Watch the old Miss tape from this week, Matt Green. They look old Miss can be good. I think uh, I'm buying a lot of old Miss stock right now. Just file that one away. Yeah, and I think the the snaps for the quarterback, I think, was like really the most interesting part of this this game. And you saw Spencer Sanders get a, a lot of uh, a lot of reps in this one, but but Jackson Dart was the clear number one guy. So um, we'll see how that how that looks in more competitive games moving forward. But they definitely have options. Absolutely. Well, that's all I've got, Matt Green. Big also, week. shout out yeah. to the Texas A&M Aggies. As they also as look great. Uh, we're talking about uh, these some of these cupcake wins. Like the offense is what everyone's worried about, and while fifty-two to ten versus New Mexico shouldn't mean anything, mm. uh, with some of these seventeen and twenty-point performances they put up last year against some of their uh, early cupcakes, this is uh, this is what you're supposed to do in in these early games. Yeah. Uh, I I think AM fans should feel very good about where the program is right now. And then tomorrow we'll see how Clemson looks uh, with Duke, and we'll touch on that a little bit on uh, this Wednesday show. Last uh, last yeah. thing I'll say: are, are you worried about the Ohio State Buckeyes after one week? No. They, they, that didn't do anything for you. The no. not really knowing what the quarterback situation is. I think that's one of the bigger storylines to me because I think if if Ohio State doesn't clear up their quarterback position, that really shapes what the Big Ten could be and maybe opens a door for Penn State and maybe Michigan a third straight year. And like Ohio State with what they have on the roster, I think we're the they're the only team we really give respect to an on an SEC level of having that championship level talent compared to Alabama and Georgia. If the quarter if the quarterback position holds them back, like that's that uh that kind of opens up a uh, opens up a door in the Big Ten. That's fair. I just I'm not there yet. No, it's early for sure. We'll see. Um, I the only people who moved the needle was Penn State, where I was like, okay, Penn State's gonna be a serious. I have one last thing, one last mm. note. We'll we'll do this as a weekly tracker. Iowa Hawkeyes currently averaging 24 <laughs> points per game. That is uh that is one point below the records or the uh the goal for the mm-hmm. season. So we will keep not uh, a goal, but an ultimatum. If he doesn't get it, you're fired. Obligation, yeah. yeah 24-14 over Utah State. So uh if you're getting that 25 points per game, <laughs> Utah State was supposed to be one of those 40 42 point uh outcomes. So 
We shall see. Uh, after week one, they're one point shy of their goal. Not looking good there on uh, the Brian Barron's front. Um, but, yeah, I went front. I, I still think they're going to win a lot of football games. That'd be funny if they like have a great year and they go 10 and 11 and 1 or whatever <laughs> and they make the Big Ten title game and they stop to fire Brian Ferentz because he... Yeah, 23 and a half points per yeah. game. Is that, my hands are tied. <laughs> that would be ideal for Kirk Ferentz. It's like, ah, he someone else has got to make this decision. He's not going to fire his own son. Matt Green, always a pleasure. I'll talk to you in a couple days. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.